and welcome to the Weekly Four podcast. Da na na na. The best things in life are free. Da na na na. But you got what you pay for with Anchor podcast recording technology. I want money. That's what I want. Okay. Well, we're going to get started before we subject anybody else to your singing. Um, and if you'd like Joe to not sing in future episodes, please subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the less singing he will do. So um, that is a guarantee from the Weekly Four. That is a Weekly Four promise. Um, anyway, let's get started. We've got a lot to go over, and uh, you do not have a long drive home. So uh, let's, uh, let's get started. So baseball is back. Um, finally, a 99-day um, lockout. Um, the owners were locking out the players has been resolved a lot of key issues in terms of uh, where the luxury tax number was going to be at uh, other things in the collective bargaining agreement. But for a average fan, the biggest two changes are universal designated hitter. It used to only be the American league had a designated hitter. Now for the foreseeable future, both leagues will have a designated hitter. So you will not have to see pitchers hit anymore. Um, It's kind of a blessing to us all. Um, And the fact that leagues had different rules was kind of ridiculous considering how there's 15 in each league and somebody was always playing a, um, uh, a, a what's called a game between the two leagues. It wasn't kind of like how it was in the 60s and the 70s that the only time the leagues would play each other would be in the World Series. So between interleague being a constant, um, it, this just made a lot of sense. Honestly, it's amazing it took baseball this long to implement it. Um, considering the DH, I think, was established in, like, 73. So I think literally it's, like, going to be, like, the 50th season with the designated hitter and final leagues in both leagues. Um, And now there are 12 playoff teams. So there was only 10 um, last time. Now there's 12. So now only the top two teams with the best records in each league, American League, National League, get buys. Then the bottom four teams play in the playoffs. I don't know how long they're playing each other for. I have yet to see anywhere how long that first round of the playoffs is. Um, it's either going to be, I think, a best of three or it'll be a one-game playoff. Um, and uh, and the nine-inning doubleheader um, is also new. Um, and, and and it's not new necessarily. They kind of shortened it for the pandemic, shortened lockout because of the pandemic. So back to having nine-inning doubleheaders. Um, and, uh, so that's kind of the excitement around baseball. What is this luxury tax item? So if you spend above a certain limit, um, teams then get taxed, um, and it goes into a pot for the other teams that can utilize it. So it tries to keep competitive balance to kind of stop teams from spending above a certain level, um, in order for the leagues to remain competitive also. But the difference is the NBA also has a floor. So each team has to spend a certain amount of money. Baseball doesn't have that, which is ridiculous. So there are teams that can spend $45 million on their whole team, get away with it, not feel the competitive team, and then try to make money um, um, through the through the taxes as well as whatever local revenues they can. I mean, it's to help the small markets a little bit, but if you really want a competitive thing, you need to put in a floor and it'll help the players. So that's the one thing that I was disappointed by. So there's no floor. Correct. But there is a cap. It's a soft cap. Right. And then, so then that means that, okay, interesting. So it means that the cost of spending above the cap has gone up. Well, no, actually they moved the cap up as part of the raise. Okay. Um, But again, it's, um, 
Um, it literally helps the big market teams like in New York or LA where they have these huge TV contracts um, and they don't mind spending over it because they have these huge contracts. So they don't mind paying that extra tax to subsidize the other teams. If it means that their team ends up competing way better, because again, in New York, way more people are going to go see the Yankees if they're competing for a world championship than if they're in the bottom. So it kind of keeps the big markets competitive and the small markets have to try to find other ways other than through, um, um, other than through uh, salary to be competitive. So it's a very interesting dichotomy in baseball that doesn't really exist in any of the other leagues. That is interesting. And when does uh, spring training start? Um, few layers could report already today, um, wow. but in earnest, uh, mandatory, it starts on Sunday. So, and the games, yeah. I think spring training games start, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so it's, they're really ramping up quick. Um, in order to start games, I think April 7th is uh, – Thursday, April 7th is the first regular season game, which is literally less than four weeks away. So, um, Very exciting. And they're getting a full 162-game season in, so people are very – Oh, yeah, that was another question. What is this uh, – Going on. Can you still – What is that? this – yeah, what is this nine-inning doubleheader? So it was always the rule that if a team had to play two games in a day, that they, um, they, they each game was nine innings. But they did for the pandemic um, because shortened rosters, players had a limited amount of time um, before the season started. Um, they did each doubleheader game would only be seven innings, but they're going ah. back to the normal. Uh, only baseball purists were really upset about that. I think most people just didn't care. But um, it'll be interesting because. Baseball has to make up some of these games, though, to hit the 162. They're saying any of the games missed before April 7th might be double headers. Um, so the Astros had the Yankees at home, but the Yankees only came once a year. So I don't know if they're. I keep getting this phone call from some random number in Forney, Texas. And I keep sending it to voicemail. And they keep calling me. I was like, we're doing a podcast here. Um, yeah, seriously. by the way, this is the perk of doing it late at night. Because... Yeah. yeah. Declining it. It's unbelievable. I would that think is... it'd be an emergency, but I don't. Just leave me a voicemail. Yep. Hello? Yep. Yeah, it, it, it literally the voicemail is if you are declining coverage, like ah, so if you get annoying. sent a voicemail, stop calling over and over again. Yeah, unbelievable. Have, uh, so that's my our podcast, but I have this thing on my phone that like is supposed to filter out spam calls through AT um, and T. Oh, really? I should sign up for that. That's great. That would really be helpful. Yeah, it does a good job at it. Because um, the other the the more draconian approaches. Um, on your iPhone, you can have it where anyone that's not in your phone book, it won't ring. But that doesn't work because not everyone that calls me is in my phone book. Yeah, I can't, I can't do that either. No, definitely not. Um, All right, well, this is thing. So, okay, I'm glad that this, this has been such a stupid lockout, but at least they yeah. managed to resolve it before the season. So hopefully... And before doing enough damage. I mean, we got hurt because we were supposed to have Astros 
all the games that got canceled were all home games against the Yankees and Phillies. They don't play the yeah. Phillies again this season, so I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll add those three back on at the end of the season because they're going to add a couple at the end. But my guess is when they play the Yankees, they may play double headers at Yankee Stadium where they just happen to be the home team. Because other than batting uh, second, it doesn't necessarily have to be in your state. Right. And apparently 3.25 p.m. Central on Friday is when every cold call has to come in. I just got another one. That's four in eight minutes. This is I, – I wonder if it's all from the same, like, sort of automated call center. I don't know. But I keep hitting decline, and maybe it's – if yeah, I have to let it ring a little longer, but ridiculous. Moving on um, – um, so, yeah, anything else you want to add about baseball and your Blue Jays or anything else before we move on? I'm excited that like, I, I'm excited that the season isn't going to be ruined. I'm happy for my father's rabbi, Rabbi Rakefet, who's a diehard Yankees fan. And on his classes, he's been very upset about this lockout. So glad that that's been resolved for him. Are you listening to this and or your dad's telling you about this? I listen to his classes. Very nice. Yeah, he's a very – his classes right now are, are all about um, Jewish history in the United States. It's sort of the beginning of like, – from like the beginning of like the 20th century more or less. And it's just really interesting to hear about these different you know, things that he's talking about. So I've been enjoying his classes and I listen to them on my drive home and my drive to work. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, but he, on these classes, he starts off by saying, you know, basically, I don't understand why all these people that are making so much money are letting money stand in the way of the greatest game. Um, yeah, because a lot of the base, the players weren't making a ton of money. The minimum wage is another increase I forgot to talk about that I think the players now minimum make like 700 grand versus like they were like 550 or 450, which again, while to most yeah. people is a huge thing, but even at that level, that's a huge differential of money. Um, and again, um, as much as it may not seem like to the average American that that's, a, that's significant because it's already making so much, that's still a 40%, I think, jump in your salary. And that at any level, that's insane. So, yeah. And minimum wage of your salary, by the way. Right. Uh, yeah. No, that's, I mean, look, good for them. They, these guys. And, and, and these players, right. They, they work hard. They also have agents. They have managers. They have, yeah. they have a lot of expenses also the average person doesn't have also in terms of getting, um, getting them to that level. But uh, listen, it all worked out. Uh, thank God. So very exciting that we will all have baseball back. Uh, Do you know, opening days in Houston? In Houston, yes. They schedules out. It, uh, I need to just quickly look. Um, as I check on that, we will talk about Selection Sunday. So um, college basketball has all of their kind of uh, conferences right now playing uh, their tournament games. And this Sunday will be the Selection Sunday when they make the bracket, which is where every person who knows nothing about college basketball fills one out, hopes they win for a large monetary prize, bragging rights, you name it. So that is all happening this Sunday. So when you are around the office, Mr. Levenstein, and they talk about the bracket, it's coming out on Sunday with the top 68 teams in college basketball playing against each other to try to win a national championship. And I think you're gone. 
Okay, we will be taking a quick pause. Uh, no word from our sponsors because still waiting. Please let us know. Um, we have currently unsullied by sponsorship since the beginning of this podcast, but hopefully we'll bring back another one soon. Mr. Levinson, if you are still on and talking, we cannot hear you. Going to call you back. Oh, Andy's back. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, so I was saying if, if I want to bet on who's going to win the championship, it, now is the time, or when that comes out is the time for that. Yeah, I mean, you can. It's 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 most less – it's filling out a bracket. I know I, I saw there's a couple of them, I think, at our kids' schools that are doing it for charity, which is nice. But, yes, if, if, if you want to bet on a team to win the national championship after the bracket comes out, it'll – depending on who they play, you can really kind of see their path towards the championship. Wait, when people bet on these brackets, do you... It's it's basically you you get different points for, like, how many you get right. You don't bet on one game. It's, like, on how a bunch of games fare out. Oh, so is the winner the person with the most points? Correct, typically. Ah, I always thought there was, like, someone was picking out of all these teams who was But typically the national champion is worth the most points. So if you pick that correctly, um, it it vaults you very far ahead of everybody else. But, again, normally the better teams end up winning the national championship, obviously, so people know who those are. So you use some of the lower games more as tiebreakers and kind of being able to make sure that not everybody gets tied for first place and splits it because you have those lower games to kind of break those ties. Uh, that makes sense because you may have a scenario where a person wins the championship that no one picked, but you can still have a winner of the bracket because it's whoever has the most points at that point. So, Mr. Levenstein, opening day in Houston is Monday, April 18th, which we will both be here for because it is Passover. So that could be a lot of fun to take our children, which have nothing to do, to opening day um, against the Los Angeles Angels. It's, it's not Yom Tov? It is not. Ooh. All right. We should discuss that offline. Yep. But beer will not be had by any Jew keeping Passover at the game. So if you also, go to the go game for <laughs> Sneak in potato vodka. That is a sad state of affairs. <laughs> um, but, yes, the Astros will be opening in Houston on Passover. So... Um, all of you local listeners, maybe we could. I know um, a couple of communal leaders are on this. If they want to maybe organize something, they can. Or for the day after that Tuesday, because typically opening day, the tickets are very expensive. And then the day after, they like drop off a cliff. So both mm-hmm. Monday night and Tuesday. Um, who I are they playing? That Los Angeles Angels, who have the current MVP, who both pitches and hits in Shohei Otani. And Mike Trout, who is one of the best players in baseball. So also a really good series. So the corner case of a pitcher who's also a good hitter. Yeah, he is He is the exception and, uh, and, and did something that nobody's done since Babe Ruth last season. So kind of extremely impressive. I remember we talked about that. Yeah. So the Astros home opener tickets are now on sale. Anyway, moving on to our next subject because – Got a lot to get to, and we're already 15 minutes in. Um, Greg Popovich is about to become the winningest coach in NBA history. Um, he's currently tied for it. He's the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs, who not great this season, but um, are still um, are still very much in the hunt of things um, uh, in terms of just 
playing the games out. They're not going to make the playoffs. I don't know why I said they wouldn't hunt the things. But he is definitely should be in the hunt of breaking the record. Uh, ESPN just did a whole write-up on him. He was helpful. He also had Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker. Had some great players to coach. But every successful coach also has successful players. But um, just kind of one of the greats of the game and uh, about to break that record, which I think will um, – I don't think it'll never be broken, but it's going to take somebody a very long time um, to break that record and have that type of long-term success. I think the Spurs made the playoff for like 16 straight, something insane, um, but um, really a commitment to excellence. That was one of that was one of my favorite teams to watch. Also, uh, we had David Robinson and the ah, yeah, that was a that was a great team. I remember watching them. They were it just seemed like a very cohesive team. Ah, the other thing I wanted to tell you, Mr. Levenstein, is your Toronto Blue Jays are here the day after Passover, Sunday at one ten. So you should get excited for that because the first two games are Friday night and Saturday afternoon. But that could also be a very fun thing because it's right after Passover, so you can have whatever you like at the game within reason. Um, and uh, and that's at one ten, Sunday the 24th. So I wanted to give you that heads up. And that's actually after Passover, like that's correct. After that's that's Passover. literally Passover and Saturday night. That's the next day. Ooh, that's good to know. Uh, that's that's why you keep me around as a friend for just to update you about things that you are going to enjoy and things that I would absolutely miss otherwise. Yes, that is also definitely sure, especially <laughs> when it comes to sports. Yeah. Um, and finally, currently the Players' Championship, which is the biggest purse in sports, and no, I'm not talking about a bag, but rather $20 million, um, um, is currently going on in golf. Um, you have some of the biggest names, Tiger Woods, who's hurt, Phil Mickelson, um, who may be suspended. They don't announce their suspensions in golf, which is fascinating, but he basically made some pretty poor comments about the tour, was trying to start up a rival tour, said that even though Saudi Arabia has horrible abuses, we should still do this um, new tour that they were starting just because it'll it'll keep the PGA in check. So they were not happy with those comments. And people are like, what are you saying? Um, anyway, so he's not playing in it. And then Bryson DeChambeau, another player, is just injured and he's not playing in it. So you have some of the best players in the world. Plus, it got suspended again by rain the last two days. So they're going to resume Saturday. Um, not till Saturday morning until like 10 because in Florida is getting hammered with rain. So these players, literally, they're still part of the first round. Today is going to be the second round. So when they're starting the third round, they're still going to have to finish the first. So my guess is they're not going to finish this till Monday. Um, and it just really hurts golf's weekend because this is kind of known as the fifth major. Um, it's not a major championship, but a huge because of all the money involved. Um, a very big tournament. So... If I'm understanding what you said correctly, what that means is that players that would not typically be able to even compete to win this have a better chance because all these other big names are not going well, to be only, playing? It's only like two or three, so I wouldn't say that. Um, but the crazier thing is the fact that it's none of these players are really used to – like have to play so much golf over a two-day span between Saturday, Sunday, maybe go into Monday, just kind of throws their whole s- schedules out of whack. There were people on the course who didn't even finish their first round that still have two holes left. Daniel Berger, the best Jewish golfer in the world, he's currently only one back of the lead, but he still hasn't played the 
famous 17th hole yet an 18th hole of his first round so he still has to finish his first round and there are guys who are only through just looking down the leaderboard 12 hole that are starting 13 so all those guys have to go finish first then they kind of start their second round on saturday so my guess is this thing's gonna go until monday um unless they play a ton of golf saturday and sunday it's gonna be very very interesting but um a big tournament that a lot of people who are golf fans are excited for. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it changes the whole, it's, it's like uh, high speed golf. It's like all those extra intensity and challenges. It'll, it should make it a, just a general, more interesting tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the conditions, it's, the, the course is going to be soaked tomorrow. So it's interesting that typically makes it easier in certain ways. Um, but again, just, Definitely more what the players practiced for. So, very cool. Although they've been expecting this rain for a while, so this shouldn't be that surprising to anybody. All right. Well, we'll see how it all how it all plays out. Yep, we will update you on the next podcast to tell you who ended up winning. Um, On this day, because my guess is most of the people listening to this will not be following what happens in that tournament. Um, Mm -hmm. On this day, eleven years ago, a nine point zero earthquake. Um, triggered the Japanese tsunami, killing uh, thousands of people. I think about 20,000 people uh, uh, almost passed away. 20-foot-high tidal wave. Um, And what's crazier is I was trying to think, I was like, this wasn't the same one as the huge one in the Indian Ocean in 04. That one had 227,000 people die from that earthquake and, and, um, and tsunami. And if you think, everybody thinks of, oh, man, flooding is horrible. Hurricanes are horrible. Tornadoes are horrible. Tsunamis are horrible, triggered by these underwater earthquakes and kill far more people than any of those things all combined. I mean, I remember when that Indian Ocean disaster hit, I mean, 227,000 likely dead. I mean, that's just a staggering amount of numbers. Probably equals all the flood deaths in U.S. history combined. Plus, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to fathom that and the crazy thing is you might barely feel it because it's happening so far offshore. Then all of a yeah. sudden, hours later, a tsunami is rolling in. So I think since about 11 years ago in Japan, a lot of countries have really updated their tsunami warning systems. Um, um, and, um, luckily, it's, the Gulf of Mexico is in, a, has, is in a hotbed of underwater earthquake activity. We're not by the ring of fire like it is. Um, over by the Indian Ocean where you have all these underwater volcanoes. So luckily, hopefully, we should never see anything like that. But it's, it's crazy stuff if you live anywhere on a coast. Was this the one that also flooded the nuclear reactor? Correct. In Japan? Yep, in uh, Fukushima, I think. Fukushima, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that was 11 years ago. Yeah. It feels like 11 years ago. That's like normally things like will either like two, more longer or shorter. That actually feels like 11 years ago. Yeah, but that's still, um, yeah, the, the number of people killed in the 2004 one was really scary. Yeah. Um, and I remember like, you know, it was but even 20,000 early... people 11 years ago is kind of insane. If you think about like any other natural disaster. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a result of, you know, these part of it is, I mean, granted, we're lucky we don't get that many tsunamis here. And so that's just good for us. But 
the other part of it is, is that it's the way, you know, these, these places are built. Like everyone lives at street level, right? Yeah. Living in a house that's a floor up or a building that's a few floors up. So when this comes through, it comes like there's no escaping it. It's interesting. I just Googled tsunamis in the United States and they say that um, some, um, the most devastating ones have hit Hawaii in 1946, uh, killed 159 people, and the uh, heights reached a maximum of 33 to 55 feet. Um, so, again, it can happen, I guess, more in the Pacific yeah. um, and hit California, but not really on the eastern seaboard or in the Gulf. And it sounds like you're literally going through a tsunami right now. Where are you? So I, I got a stay of uh, ending the, this because uh, Tanya needed me to stop at HEB to pick up some stuff. So I am now walking through the HEB parking lot, but it's windy and getting colder. Apparently, yeah, it sounds like you're going through a wind tunnel. Um, I, I think people waiting online on, at HEB will be very excited to hear our podcast. So Yeah, I agree. I'll make sure I tell everyone. Um. So moving on to our next topic, as much as we can talk more about tsunamis, it's, it's A, it's sad, and B, it's, it's just something scary to try not to think about. So we're going to move on. It's also the 43rd birthday to twin brothers Benji and Joel Madden from the band Good Charlotte. I like to call them um, an overlooked band. I think they're a very underrated band. People who are not such fans of them call them a poor man's green day. A lot of that angst similar to Green Day. I, literally, I was on in my car, uh, just I played one song and I was curious what put on next. And sure enough, Green Day came on next because um, I guess Spotify or Apple Music, whatever identifies Good Charlotte and to have similar bands, it goes right to Green Day. Um, didn't, didn't obviously have nearly as many hits as Green Day, hasn't lasted as long. Um, but I, I, an underrated band, maybe it's because kind of I was in high school and college when I think they were very popular. Um, but think that a lot of their songs also are um, lyrics are very interesting. It's angsty, but I mean, it's um, um, like literally talking about Marion Barry, mayor of D.C., the fact that he has all these drug records and nothing ended up happening. He still got elected. And it's um, that's from Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Um and a couple of other great songs. Um, so happy 43rd birthday to them. And I'm honestly surprised they're not older because I assumed that they were like 10, 15 years older than, than us. And How do you know I mean, that that's what the song's about? It's literally in the lyrics. You could always run for mayor of D.C. Like you get stopped with drugs. Like you can like go away to life or like Marion Berry who could become mayor of D.C. Wow. So, okay, let me ask you this. This is not necessarily related to Good Charlotte, but are you, like, the type of person that listens more to the lyrics or the music? Um, it depends on the song. Um, I feel like songs that try to have messaging, I try to listen to the words, but, like, most songs, probably more on the music side. Okay. But in this case, you happen to yeah. Know but like, that. like we didn't start the fire. Like, I literally could tell you almost every word by heart of that song because it's literally a song about U.S. history. Um. um so, like, uh, again, I think it just depends on the song and what the song is trying to accomplish. It. Gotcha. Cool. Um, I'm just curious about that. 
Yeah, like as long as you've got the cash to pay for Cochrane, like they talk about OJ in it. Um, and you know, if you were caught and you were caught smoking crack, McDonald's wouldn't want to take you, but you could always run for mayor of DC. Huh? Yeah. Did he actually have crack? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And he got so, reelected. Yeah, he got elected. Yeah, well, re- elected the first time, I think, despite having that as his background. Maybe even reelected, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how they spun that. It was medicinal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think he was just very well connected. And, and again, um, somebody's drug problem may not interfere with them being a great mayor. I, I don't. I don't know if he was a great mayor. You had the citizens of D.C. who were there at the time, but uh, uh, they, they elected him. So. Um, so happy birthday to them. And uh, maybe Good Charlotte will maybe have a reunion tour and maybe we'll go see them in concert. Who knows? Um, but happy 43rd birthday to them today. Happy um, 43rd. And then uh, the last history on this day in 1985, uh, Gorbachev was elected the last head of state of the USSR. Um, to me, it's uh, dichotomy kind of takes us into our next topic, well, of what's currently going on with Ukraine and Russia. But the fact that 37 years ago, he was the last one, the head of the USSR, and that was supposed to be the fall of the Soviet Union right afterwards, um, happening four or five years later. Um, and the fact that here we are now and Russia is still very much a power and has kind of been brought back, you could almost use Gorbachev, who's still alive, by the way, and 91 years old, to come back. He has been critical of Putin in the past. Um, I guess is he's probably slowed down a bit at 91, but the fact that, A, he's still alive and kicking, and this is kind of happening again, it'd be very interesting to see his take. He was critical in the past kind of of, of the U.S. in recent years between what happened at the Capitol attack um, as well as a couple of other things. You can Wikipedia him for more info to see where he stands on current events. But it's just kind of nuts how uh, literally it's 37 years since the last time they had a, a, a new head of the USSR. And you could make an argument now that Russia is more dangerous today than it was 37 years ago. You could also make an argument that it's weaker. Yeah. Um, and therefore, less dangerous. I- I don't know about Russia in 85. Definitely 89, I would not say it's less dangerous than the 89 USSR. 85 is interesting when he took over, but at the end of the Soviet Union was definitely, they were not nearly as strong as um, I think they are today as a world power. Um, Fair enough. I will, it's a hard comparison to make, so I can't can't say for sure, but um, I will say that um, that Gorbachev, when he when he um, decided to sort of change things in the Soviet Union, um, he was very focused on still protecting it. I would say, and sort of making sure that like even like all the agreements that were being done to take it apart were in the interest of it. And so, you know, he's able to do that in a pretty balanced way, which is um, to his credit and um, without a total collapse of like order in the Soviet Union that's coming apart. So like we've talked about this in other times when we talk about the Bushes, but like, you know, this is a type of a strong leader that was able to do things that 
I don't know that leaders today, I don't know that leaders today would be able to execute on taking apart, you know, uh, a pact like he did without like total chaos ensuing. Right. No, it's um, it, it, it's just amazing how time how time uh, moves on, but. It seems like every other leader from the 80s is gone, and yet Gorbachev is still alive and kicking. So um, that's the other thing that kind of just threw me, like, I think he's still alive, and sure enough, he is. And you'd think somebody who kind of went through this 37 years ago and, and saw kind of Russia kind of go towards democracy is now seeing this. It's kind of really a fascinating thing that, thinking my guess is he never thought Russia would end up moving back there in his lifetime but sure enough you live long enough you see a lot mm-hmm. yeah and it kind of brings us to our next one um, Russia is blasting western Ukraine with bombing they're advancing on Kiev the question I have and I think we talked a little about this about last week about kind of maybe the Black Sea um, but what is Russia's end game I was speaking with somebody last night um, who thinks that unless Putin is killed, he doesn't see how this ends well for the Ukrainian people, short of that happening. Saturday Night Live actually made that joke. Um, literally, they said, Lindsey Graham said something like that, and SNL made the joke. It's one of the few times that we actually agree with Lindsey Graham. Um, <laughs> um, so it's... Um, I, I, just, wh- I just don't know what... I, I get what Russia's trying to accomplish, but what is the ultimate end game? What do you think? I honestly, at first, thought it would be to just try to grab a, a larger chunk of the Ukraine and kind of more of the eastern Ukraine and create a sep, uh, peace deal off that. But I don't know anymore the way this keeps going. Um, and they've already taken so much land that they're not, doesn't look like they're trying. It looks like he's trying to conquer the entire country. So I, I don't know if this stops until he's in control of the entire country. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, uh, yeah, I hear that. I mean, I think the, um, the end game here has probably changed since it started. Right. I think the initial assumption was, you know, I think he really believed that they would just walk in and the whole country would just sort of crumble and, you know, wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be much of a challenge to, to take over the country and, and then switch out the, the person in charge. And that's obviously not played out. Um, so I think now, honestly, if 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 you think about sort of what his personality is, his end game is probably how do I wrap this up in a way where I come out looking good and I come out looking strong and, um, and that basically is, um, I think a government that's friendly to his and, um, I don't know know. how that happens anymore with kind of the amount of resistance being put up. Because, well, this is where, you know, you sort of, when you think about it from a historic perspective in the context of, a conflict like what are we in week two that's nothing yeah right? like and they can they can keep this up much it's one of those things where they can probably keep this up longer than the ukrainians could um and so 
you know, they're just going to keep on. It seems very heroic right now, but probably before, um, not, long, not in a short period of time, but probably soon it'll stop. That resistance will start to crumble and things will change and they'll be able to move forward. The alternative is that um, he has to pull out in a very cowardly way and uh, that won't be good for anyone because then he'll look weak and then he'll he'll have to like recap his his uh ego but for right now i think it's like how do we like keep on doing what you're doing i think he's gonna refuse to look weak that's not his mentality he he doesn't show any weakness yeah so he's gonna keep on pushing and he's gonna and i i do believe i mean i'm not a fan of what they're doing i'm not a fan of the country but i do think that um, their military has the capacity to keep this up and keep on applying pressure longer than the Ukrainians are able to hold out. Yeah, no, I think that's just an honest assessment of the situation rather than what you're hoping for. Yeah, no, the hope would be that they just, you know, fold up, go back to Russia, and we all just sort of say, okay, <laughs> you know, that was awkward and it was horrible, and, um, you know, we're now going to go back to life. Um, uh, but that's that won't happen because then he'll look weak and... He won't look weak. So he'll keep on pushing and fighting until... And, and no one's touching him, by the way. Like, that's the other side of it. Like, I was reading an article about his bodyguards. Like, you would have to overthrow the entire country before you get anywhere close to him or his family. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he's taking precautions. I chuckled a little earlier when we were on. I don't know if our listeners caught it, but because I just saw on CNN. World Health Organization officials warned, certainly there'll be a rise in COVID-19 cases tied to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. I think they have bigger problems right now than COVID-19. I'm, I mean, if you're in the Ukraine. Um, just saying, again, not trying to this, um, um, not say that COVID-19 isn't serious, but when you're getting bombed and shelled and being forced to flee from your house, I don't think COVID-19, especially since hopefully most of these Ukrainians are vaccinated, um, I, I don't know that to be sure, but I, it's still, even if they're not, I don't think that's their biggest issue right now. <laughs> so thank you, World Health Organizations, for warning us about the rise in COVID-19 tied to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. So leave, <laughs> leave, it, leave it to them to really get at the core of the matter. Oh, man, I love those things. They're pretty, they're so stupid. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not a... Uh... <sighs> Whatever. Yeah, I mean, that may be true. Yeah, uh... Exactly. Headline is meaningless by CNN. Um, um, moving on to our next topic, um, it actually, so it actually continues actually on a little bit on this. Um, so Trump is still refusing. He had an interview with Fox News to criticize Putin. Um, it's either because he's a big fan of the man and wishes he could do something similar in our country, the type of power that Putin's been able to get there, or he's playing world politics very well, knowing that he's likely to be the next president in 24 and hoping by not criticizing him can use a different tactic than Biden to bring across peace in that region. Um, or the fact that he thinks to try to piss off another nuclear power. Um, and again, I don't think he's a huge um, fan of uh, the Ukraine, especially since I think Zelensky didn't help Trump. Um, Trump was, I, f- I forgot what it was, but it was just a huge thing with the Trump's new crown. I think he wanted him to, s- I, I forgot what it was. 
Um, I don't know if you remember, but there was something with Trump in the Ukraine um, recently. But um, just very interesting how Trump is kind of um, playing this thing by not like saying he supports the Ukrainian people, blah, 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 but won't criticize Putin. So. Well, he's not the only world leader. I think uh, Israel still has not. And, um, yeah, but, and I wanted to actually bring that up because what's interesting is, yes, they have not. But, you know, that's, and that's whatever. But I will, one of the most interesting pieces of news in the last week, or one of the interesting pieces of news in the last week that I saw, I don't know if you're aware of this, but on Shabbat morning, Naftali Bennett flew to Moscow. Yep. And that's a huge deal. Especially because considering he's modern Orthodox. He's Sabbath observant. Yep. And he still said to himself, it is, I, he basically took the rule of this will save lives, not yep. even Jewish lives. This will save lives. And therefore, or it has I the will, potential, the potential to save lives. Right. And so therefore, he got on an airplane and he flew there and he's been working as sort of a go between. And, um, you know, obviously he hasn't resolved it single handedly. But I think he's been doing some good stuff there, which I, I really am impressed by. And it's also impressive that, I mean, Putin took an in-person meeting with him. That's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. No, and it's great. And it kind of, and, and, and for Israel to have that type of relationship with Russia, um, with all the history there, um, is not a bad thing. Um, no. So it's, it's unfortunate that, that this is what it comes to, um, but not necessarily the worst thing in the world. No, absolutely not. And, um, and kudos to him for trying and, um, you know, kudos to him also for having the respect, being able to get that meeting even to happen. Like that's, yeah. I don't know, to me, I, 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 to me it was, there were multiple things in that story that made me really proud, like of, of where that where israel is today yeah no and um i think i think that makes i think that makes a lot of sense for israel's strategic and long-term interest to not take sides here because again with russia's power with china with iran to not make them an enemy and to try to be a go-between um is, is i think in a world conflict for israel not to be uh, to be looked at that way. So it really, um, really shows strength. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is um, basically Madison Cawthorn, a congressman from, I think, North Carolina, came out over the weekend. Carl Rove said he made comments about saying how Zelensky's corrupt and crooked um, and he's not a hero and that Ukraine is basically criticizing Ukraine even though they're being invaded. Um, and... Um, not along with the 90% of bipartisanship on it. And it's the thing that bothers me so much is that you have these extremes. You have him, you have Lauren Bobart, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, all on the far right extreme of the Republican Party. You have AOC and Omar and Rashida Tlaib on the far extreme left of their party on the Democrats. And yeah. the people in their party not bringing truth to power. I don't care if you're in their party oh. or not in their party. And just saying, this is unacceptable. We should remove these people. And instead of going after freaking um, um, Lynn Cheney um, um, because she was on the committee over what happened on January 6th and didn't support Trump. Like, 
the truth to power that's happening is of doing it to moderates and people who are who are trying to find out the truth, especially on the Republican side, rather than these people who's who they should be trying to throw out of the party and out of leadership roles and stuff like that in the House. And it's really, really bothersome that they're catering towards the left and the right of the extremes and calling out some of the people who are on the, towards the more middle. And, and that's what's happening with our political parties. And honestly, it's things like this that make me want to run for something just to call out these people on the far left or on the far right and say, wake up. It's not about your stupid R or D by your name. I don't care. If you are an extreme person, somebody needs to constantly and you need to be voted out of office and people should literally send money to whoever's running against you. I encourage everybody to send money to whoever's running against Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Bobart, Marjorie Taylor Greene, AOC, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. Like, there should be a pack going after these horrible people on both sides of the aisle, and it's too much focused on just the Democrats only criticizing the far-right Republicans or the Republicans criticizing the far-left Democrats. People from their own party need to find a way to take it back from these crazy people that are... that are A big tent only goes so far. Yeah, and like... And, like, the thing is also, like, one of the things that bug me a lot is when people talk about us versus them in the context of fellow Americans or even within our community, right? Like, when I hear people in our community talk about other people in our community and refer to them as them or us, like, there is there is no room for that, Um and that and that's the same thing here, right? Like if you prioritize, you know, going after Republicans versus like cleaning up shop in your own party, like that's a huge problem. You should be focused more on like making sure that your party is strong and that you know, everything there is aligned before worrying about like targeting other people and what they're saying or, or going after them. I mean part of it's politics. Do both too. Like sure. like do both. Go after the people in your party, go after the Democrats. But go after, I mean, and certain people have stepped up, but, like, we need to get rid of these people from Congress. They do not belong there. Right. Like, if you're lying and all you're doing is damaging society, like, you should not be in public service. Or having literally viewpoints on the extremes that, even though your district might be heavy red, just because you have that R next to you, they're electing you without the people, unfortunately, knowing what you stand for and what your platform is. Right. I mean, and that's that's the thing, right? Like you're there for the people. You're not there for yourself. And that yeah, that's the problem with American politics. One of the problems. And that, by the way, and it's so funny because whenever we talk about that, it always brings me back to the point that AOC and Ted Cruz both agree on term limits. Yeah. And it's sort of like there is that common ground and we can find it and we can work together. But like if all you're focused on is us versus them, then that won't happen. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so that kind of ends our political discussion. We could go on and on, but it's A, depressing, and B, just gets me angry and angrier. Um, so we're going to move on to a couple of things to try to end it on a uh, note. Your mom is going to love the audio quality of this one. Um, well, I wasn't the one talking, and now I'm back in my car, so all is good in the hood. Yeah, we could still hear the sounds coming off your mic, even though you're not the one talking. Oh, well, hopefully. (laughs) Oh, man. This is really bad. You're now gone. 
keep going from place to place. It's like, if you want to hear the worst audio on a podcast, just subscribe to the Weekly Four. Um, Joe has kind of left us for the moment, um, and we were going to call and get him back if he does not join in the next two seconds by this time I finish talking, and he is not. Give us a quick break, and we will get right back to you and finish up with the Weekly Four. And we are back. It was a minute, a momentary interruption to our listeners, a lifetime of interruption to me. Um, <laughs> that was funny. I was going to say, that, well, what I was saying, but you couldn't hear me, the weekly four where we put production value above all else. Yes. And, uh, and um, finding time to podcast in our hectic lives is great um, because it is almost impossible to find, but it we enjoyed and hope our listeners enjoyed as well 18 plays last week hopefully we grow from there for this week so um, and by the way as as someone who actually listens to our recordings these interruptions where like you piece them together on the post-production is actually not so bad like it's not <laughs> uh like it's it doesn't seem as horrible i mean there's some of those moments where you're talking to yourself and then you're like oh man i gotta call him back but for the most part, they're not so bad. Yeah, I may have done that on, uh, on the last bit. So um, uh, I, I will try to just quickly cut. I was, I was like, I was like, hello. But also, I guess we've learned a valuable lesson when moving from head wired headphones to a car play. Apparently, Anchor doesn't like that. <laughs> yes. Anyway, we got last topic, random. We're finishing up. Uh, the season four of Mrs. Maisel just finished. Um, the show, the first few seasons were excellent. This season was very much a transition season and week was a only eight episodes, which to me is kind of insane that you can now call eight episodes a season. That's a mini series. That's not a season of a show, but that's not, not here nor there, but very much transition, uh, very much a weaker season. They tried to, I think I'm not going to ruin it for anyone, but tried to make it kind of like the earlier seasons, but you've already done that. So to try to go back and make something seem a little bit like the earlier seasons, I think is kind of not here nor there. I mean, they did move the storyline forward a little bit, but literally if you watch probably a four or five minute recap uh, before next season on what happened this season, you can be caught up extremely quickly. So um, the, it's great watching the characters um, and seeing them because there's great acting in it. But I just thought the storyline this season was weak. Um, the next season will be their fifth whenever that comes out, will be their fifth and final season uh, of the show. And I think that they, they, I think they're setting it up for it to be entertaining, but I, I mean, this is by far out of the four seasons, the weakest, like my wife who watched all three seasons intently with me, didn't even care that I finished it. She found it that boring. Um, um, disappointing. I will say there was a, it was either the second to last episode. I think it was the second to last episode. There was one scene um, that I actually found really funny. It was the last time I laughed out loud in a long time. It was nice to do. Um, but I can only, that's I think the only time I laughed out loud the entire season. Um, and again, so, it is supposed to be a comedy. So who's your favorite character? Um, Joel's dad, Kevin. Joel's Pollack. dad, Moisha. Mo- yes. He is literally the classic 1950s, Jew knows Yiddish, but isn't really religious, but is still very, very culturally Jewish and doesn't understand how how this next gener. Uh, it's he's he's a garment 
my family was in the garment business. He is a garment uh, factory owner and manufacturer. I just, I, I like a lot of the similarities. I actually think he'd probably be about the same age as my grandfather, actually, um, if, if he was a real person. So I, I just see a lot of, uh, even though they're very, very different people, um, I just see a lot of that in terms of just um, of what they did in business. And uh, he's probably my favorite character on the show. I hear that. No, that, that my wife, a, my wife's is her, is Mrs. Maisel's father, Tony Shalhoub, who plays Abe, Abe, uh, Abe Weissman. That's her favorite character. But mine is, um, mine is Moish Maisel. So now I'm curious when I, and I may even stay on the podcast. I'll be home in a couple of minutes. We'll see if we're still on. I am curious to ask Tanya, and she may be yelling about pre-Shabbat preparations when I ask her this, but I'm curious to know who her favorite character is because I agree with Seth. I, I love, love uh, Maisel's dad. I think he's my favorite character. Um, I can be cliche a little bit and say, actually, I think my favorite character is like the historical representation of the 1950s um, and 60s New York. Yeah. I mean, that's probably my favorite. I That's literally the only one of the I mean, I think my favorite thing was when they were up in the Catskills at living in the Catskills. I think that was my favorite thing. And that wasn't a character. That was probably my favorite part of the whole series. Um, that I mean, it's funny you say that because I was literally thinking that the Catskills like segment i think it was only one episode maybe. no it was like it was like multiple episodes over the course of the third season second season it was second season. season it was unbelievable but also and the reason i thought of that was because the 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 factory quote unquote that moisha owns like it, that was what it was like and and it's not it's just amazing to think that these quote and I say quote unquote factories because like I don't know like they were sewing but they were manufacturing per se but these factories were on Seventh Avenue in Manhattan. Yeah, I mean to have these production facilities in the city at the time like and today it's just unfathomable. It never happened. It's just so crazy. But at the time, you know, like they they were manufacturing like on Seventh Avenue in these factories. It was so. These um, <laughs> these production facilities set up. Your volume just changed remarkably. I don't know where you went to, but oh, I, <laughs> literally, I, if we're gonna get headphones, a, maybe they give out like an uh, I don't know a Grammy, I guess, for worst audio production value of a podcast. I think we have a shot when we submit it. It's about to get um, worse because now I'm outside again and it's windy. Apparently, there's some wind coming to our way in Houston, and it is windy. Um. Anyway, but yes, have you guys seen the fourth season yet? No. Oh, okay. So, I also think it's not fair. Like each season, you get to see another layer of the characters as well. So, I I think it might have. I don't know if he was my first favorite character before the fourth season. Um. Um. But um, I also think that the housekeeper is also a great character. Oh, um, she's amazing. Yes. Um. Literally. Um, so, um, it's, it's really enjoyable. Um, and there are a couple of new characters that get more time this season that I liked a lot also. So they're also worth watching for. Um, so, um, I'm not going to mention who they are because I don't want to ruin it, but, um, they spent a lot of time with Susie. So I will let our listeners, if they've watched it down, they know who I'm talking about. Um, and if you haven't watched it yet, watch the fourth season just for the characters. So. 
Amazing. Unfortunate storyline this week. Um, and finally, Rodeo Houston is currently underway in the heart of Houston, Texas. I think it's about halfway through, a little more than half. Um, um, a great thing. Highly recommend you taking your kids to the carnival part and livestock show, even if you don't go to the rodeo part. I actually myself have never been to the rodeo part inside the stadium for the concert. Do you um, like horses? Not especially. Okay. Um, and we always went to go look through it. I mean, there's a giant petting zoo for the kids inside. So the livestock show is also a lot of fun for like the young ones. But I took my two kids who are five and two down the giant carnival slide. Um, my two-year-old was barely tall enough, two and a half, and she loved it, um, which I was, thought was very brave of her considering you're pretty high up. Um, so uh, they loved – we're, we're back. You fell off, but you'll, you'll listen to what I said uh, afterwards. So the, the rodeo being back is a big deal also because the rodeo got canceled mid-rodeo like, because of correct, COVID. in 20 and then didn't occur in 21. Yeah. So this is uh, a, it's a big deal. And it's a big deal not just because it means that it's the end of COVID, but it's also a big deal because the rodeo is a huge source of funding for education in Texas. Yep, and scholarships and all of that, especially for a lot of the rural areas. So yeah. um, it's, it's literally been around, this is actually its 90th anniversary since 1932, so which is kind of crazy. Um, uh, it's the world's largest livestock show. Um, and um, it's, 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 it's very cool um, and highly recommend if you haven't been, it's worth going. Um, Sunday mornings, if you want to take the carnival, it's pretty empty there. So that's a good time to go. That's where I took my kids last Sunday. It's going to be a little cold this Sunday. And the rodeo goes till March 20th. So it started February 28th and it ends March 20th. So uh, literally a little more than th- just a little over three weeks. Um, actually, it's exactly three weeks. Um, for the rodeo so this will be the second sunday of the rodeo and then march 20th the last sunday of the rodeo so highly recommend going especially to the carnival and live and carnival and livestock show i'm just on their website right now they literally have something of rabbits in costume i mean i don't you can't even make this stuff up that's amazing um anyway hold on i just walked in uh kind of quick question for the podcast and then i'm going to be off who is your favorite character in Amazing Mrs. Maisel? The marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But I mean, marvelous Mrs. Character. Maisel. I haven't watched it in so okay. long, but either the mom. Her mom. Yeah. Oh, or interesting. Her. Ah, okay. There you go. All See, right, her, mom, her, her mom might be my least favorite character. Ah, I dig her also. She's also cool. No, I like his mom better because she's classic Jewish. That's and true. like the real like Bubby, like that woman like literally like defines like what I think of like a grandmother Jew. Yeah. And her mom is also kind of that definition, but the one you want to avoid at all costs. Also true. All right. So I got to hop. That's the end of our podcast. Thank you all very much and subscribe and uh, hope to see you on the next episode of the Weekly Four. Looking forward to it. Have a good one.